0: got three christmas texts today the first one comes from the prophet jeremiah jeremiah is a little lesser known than isaiah and micah and some of the other prophets as it concerns christmas prophecies but indeed jeremiah has one and that's what i'm reading today from jeremiah the 23rd chapter starting with verse 5 which begins for the time is coming says the lord when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line he will be a king who rules with wisdom he will do what is just and right throughout the land and this will be his name the Lord is our righteousness in that day Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety the key verse there is verse 6 Jeremiah says that this coming Messiah's name will be the Lord is our righteousness. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, starting with verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. The actual literal translation of that, where it says that he was a good man, says that he was a righteous man. And that's why I have chosen this passage of Scripture, because it contains the word righteous in it. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David. The angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you would name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And he quotes Isaiah, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel." which means that God is with us. Lastly, I don't know if it was on your bulletin or not, but I want to read out of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4, just a few verses. He's talking about Abraham. And again, I choose this text because it has the word righteous in it. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. Paul writes the Romans. What did he discover about being made right with God or being righteous with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham believed God and this version says, God counted him as righteous. The word, the better term is there, is one we don't use very often anymore. God reckoned him as righteous. Reckoned, it was a word which we're going to visit uh, a little bit later. It's, one of its synonyms is, he imputed. He reckoned. He counted. He chalked it up. That is, God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Paul continues, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted righteous, not because of their work, not because of their good deeds, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. There you have it from Paul. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would take control, that your word would live in our hearts this day. Speak to us, Father. I pray that you would use me um, to draw people closer to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Do you, some of you, remember a time when you used to turn on your television sets in the weeks preceding Christmas and see ads to buy Christmas gifts that were less expensive than you could? You're encouraged to buy today. Seems to me I remember a day when you turn on the television and you would see. Uh, If you're going to buy your wife a Christmas gift, you should get her a sweater or maybe a hair dryer or a hair curler. And for the man of the house, perhaps a drill or a, you know, maybe some sockets or something like that. Today, you see the commercial where the guy brings his wife out of the house and sitting there in the driveway are two brand new Chevy Silverado, $35,000 with great big bows on them, one for him and one for hers. Has anything changed over the last few years? I just googled this this morning because a thought hit me, and I googled how much are we spending on Christmas a year? Last year, first time, Americans spent over a trillion dollars in Christmas, first time, and it noted in this article that that has increased by 160 billion dollars over the last four years. 160 billion over the last four years, which brings up the question: What is the greatest Christmas present you've ever received? That's what I want you to think about today. What is the greatest Christmas present you've ever received? And how do you count it as the greatest? Is it monetary value or is it its sentimental value? What's the greatest Christmas present you've ever received? I told my grandson Alexander on the way over that he would enjoy a couple of the stories I had to share today. And by golly, he must have listened because there he is sitting back there. What do you say, Garrett? I know of a pastor who says that his greatest Christmas present, well, let me just tell you the story of how it happened. Um, he was living in New York City. His family lived in the Bronx. He was growing up. He was eight years old at the time. His younger brother was four. His mother wanted to get him out of their fifth floor apartment so the dad could set up for Christmas Eve. And so the mom took him down to a little uh, deli uh, down the street from them and got him an ice cream bar. When they were walking back into the apartment and up the stairs to the fifth floor as they were going along they suddenly heard the sound of an amazing train whistle and those two brothers stopped and looked at one another and said what was that and where was that coming from and about that time the train whistle blew again boy those two boys scampered up the stairs burst into the door and there was their father playing engineer to the biggest lionel train that he had ever seen in his life and he says that that Still, 50 years later, that pastor says that that was the greatest Christmas gift that he had ever received. That is a material Christmas gift, the gift of that Lionel train. And so for that little girl who wanted to train a while ago, I hope and pray she gets a Lionel train. (laughs) Three days from now, people all over the world will be opening up millions and millions of Christmas gifts. Some of them are going to be as delightful as that pastor's train. Many, many others are going to be the wrong size or the wrong color or the wrong item, and you'll have the annual migration of gift receivers back to the stores to be gift returners and gift exchangers. But my good news for you today is that there is a perfect Christmas gift that will never wear out, never have to be repaired, never have to be repurchased or replaced or anything else. I'm talking today about the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness is what I want to talk about today. It's the perfect Christmas gift because it's a gift for anybody, young and old, grandmas and grandpas, little children, boys and girls, men or women. It doesn't matter. It's the perfect. It's the greatest. It's the primo Christmas gift. It is the gift of righteousness. In Jeremiah's little story there, he says that this Messiah will be called the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. It's not as popular as a name as some of the other prophets like Isaiah, the one we referred to last week, which starts out. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Prince of Peace. Yes. Yes. It's not as popular as those names, but I want to submit to you today that the Lord of our righteousness is a name that eclipses those other names in its grandeur, and its majesty, for the gift of righteousness is the greatest gift any of us could ever receive, the gift of righteousness. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? Well, Proverbs 27 says this. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous man or woman leads a blameless life. A blameless life. Righteousness, according to one Christian theological dictionary, quote, Righteousness is the state of moral perfection required by God if we are to be accepted by Him and be enabled to enter into heaven. Shall I read that again? Righteousness is the state of moral perfection required by God if we are to be accepted by Him and be enabled to enter heaven. Which brings up another question that I can't pass up. With that definition, how many in this room would be willing to raise your hand and say that you are living a righteous life? Then you need to hear this message today. How can we obtain righteousness? That is the question. How can we obtain the gift of righteousness? And Paul makes it very clear in his letter to the Romans that we cannot obtain the gift of righteousness through our own moral good deeds, but rather we can only obtain the gift of righteousness through faith in Christ who lived in heaven, gave up his majesty, that is he gave up his own righteousness, came to earth, was born God in a manger, knowing full well that his mission was to go to the cross, die for the sins of humanity so sin could be forgiven, and then we could be declared righteous. If you want to receive the greatest gift that a person could ever receive, I'm talking about the gift of righteousness. It's by faith in the Christ event. Theologians, as I've already mentioned, have used the word imputation to talk about this great exchange that takes place, whereby the Son of God has given up His righteousness and taken on our unrighteousness and in turn has given us His righteousness. It's the epitome of the rags-to-riches story. What a great deal that we have got here, that Jesus is willing to take our unrighteousness upon Himself And in turn, when we accept that, he gives us his righteousness. And then we are seen as pure and holy and forgiven and blameless and righteous in the sight of God. This iron-clad connection between Jesus and righteousness is at the very heart of Christmas, the gift of righteousness. Righteousness think about it this way my friends let's say you're doing all your Christmas shopping and as most people have learned to do because of the points and the rewards many people use their credit cards and when they go out and buy their Christmas presents they ching, and it's the credit card let's just imagine if you will now you've racked up all your purchases on your credit card let's just say that you've gone overboard this year that you're wanting to help out that trillion dollar Uh, Figure that'll come out next year or 1.3 trillion or whatever it might be and you've gone overboard in fact Let's just imagine that you've maxed out your credit card on Christmas presents Um, just imagine that it's maxed out and uh, You get your first bill to pay it and you go to the cupboard or your checkbook and there's nothing there to pay it Now you don't have to imagine what's going to happen next do you? You're going to get letters and phone calls and somebody might even come and knock on your door because you owe like tons of money and you have no way to repay it. Just imagine yourself in that situation and then imagine receiving a letter in the mail. And this letter is coming from the person that you owe the money, the the store or whatever, your credit card company. And they're telling you in this letter that someone has paid off your credit card for you entirely. The debt wasn't theirs. But they've taken it on. The name on the account wasn't theirs, but that doesn't matter to them because they're trying to do something nice for you and they have paid off your entire debt. You want to repay them. You'd like to, but you have no way you can't pay it back. What I'm trying to say to you, in other words, is the Bible is very clear in telling you and me that we have built up a tre- tremendous mountain of debt ourselves. We, each one of us, in God's eyes, have built up a tremendous debt, a mountain of debt. And interest accrues to our account every day that makes that debt more and more and more. And there's no way that you or I can ever pay for it by ever doing so many good deeds or things like that. But the truth of the matter is, God doesn't hold that debt over our heads. Rather, that's why He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to pay that debt for us. Um, Paul says, uh, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him, we might have the righteousness of God. What a deal. What an epitome of a rags-to-riches story. I'm talking about the greatest gift that anyone could receive today. I'm talking about receiving the gift of righteousness. Terry Schaefer lived in Moline, Illinois with her husband David. Terry loved to buy Christmas presents and she loved to buy Christmas presents for her husband. She bought him a Christmas present in September and the problem with Terry was she's so excited she could hardly keep a secret. So she found herself in October wanting to give this Christmas present to her husband early and she battled a battle, finally she could take it anymore so she called him in the kitchen one day and gave him this Christmas present and a peck on the cheek said, Merry Christmas. This is an early Christmas present, Dave. Well. Um, they would never know how important that Christmas present was because he was a policeman in Moline, Illinois, and that very night when he went out on a second shift job about 10 p.m. he got a call on the police radio that there was a robbery in progress at a drugstore. He drove down there and as he pulled up he saw a car leaving the scene rapidly. He put on his flashers and began to follow that car and about the time it got outside of town of Moline, Illinois, the car pulled over. Dave Schaefer got out of his cruiser began to walk up to that car and when he was about five feet away from it that guy stuck a 45 out his window and shot David in the chest when Terry arrived at the hospital she was glad to see that her husband was alive and although he had a bruise on his chest he did not have a bullet inside of his chest for indeed the gift that she gave him was the gift of a bulletproof vest isn't that amazing what a wonderful gift and what we're celebrating today is that God in Christ provided us a vest what Paul refers to in his letter to the Ephesians as the breastplate of righteousness that's what we're celebrating today it's the greatest Christmas present one might ask oneself why would God go to all this trouble To provide this wonderful gift of righteousness to you and to me and the plain and the simple truth is because he loves us so much it's because he loves us so much he's offering us the greatest gift because he loves us so much that pastor I talked about he says that that train is a warm reminder of the greater gift that he received from his parents 50 years ago, the gift of unconditional love. And as time went on and he went into the ministry and began to study and got to know his mom and dad even more, as Christians themselves, realized that the origin of that gift was the gift that was given at Christmas time in Christ, which personifies the love and the care with which God loves us. I saw a story the other day I couldn't pass up It's a story about a lady who lived in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1992. Her name was Karen. She was pregnant with her second child. She had a seven-year-old boy named Michael. They didn't know that anything was wrong with the baby, but when the baby was born in 1992, there were serious complications and it was rushed to an intensive care unit of the neonatal unit in one of the hospitals down there in Tennessee. parents were told by the doctors that their daughter was gravely ill and that they didn't hold out much hope for her. Now little Michael wanted to see his little sister and the mom and dad knew that if Michael didn't see his sister soon he might not see his sister at all and although that hospital at that time had a rule in place that children under 12 were not allowed in the neonatal unit the mom took little Michael in to see his sister. The head nurse kind of saw him growing in the room, said, not allowed to do that. And that mother's instincts rose to the fore. She just ignored it and took Michael right in there. And he stood at that little incubator and put his hands on the side of it and looked at his little sister. And he began to sing. And he sang this song. You are my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy when skies are gray you'll never know dear how much i love you please don't take my sunshine away his mother had been singing him that song for a long time and he sang it to his little sister and the head nurse who was standing there heard the little blip on the heart monitor, and the number of heartbeats declined in that little sister. And she looked up at that, and then the head nurse said, sing that again, and Michael sang that song again to his little sister, and again and again, and the more he sang that song, the more that little sister's heartbeat and breathing normalized to the point where she went home several days later. Woman's Day magazine said that it was a miracle. Karen said it was a miracle of God. It was a miracle of God's love. When God sent his son into the world, born in Bethlehem, he was singing to you and I, you'll never know, dear, how much I love you. He offers us the gift of righteousness because he loves us so much. I close with a story told by Dolly Parton, everybody's favorite country singer. Dolly says that she remembers that when she was a kid, that Santa brought not only new presents, but mended old beloved ones too. And so at the beginning of every December, she would write old Saint Nick a letter, and she would say, Santa Claus, would you please repair Rosie again?" Rosie was an old black rag doll whose soft and embroidered eyes viewed Dolly's world of uncertainty with a calm assurance. Dolly had several dolls, but none of them were closer to her heart than Rosie. She took care of her other dolls, but she felt Rosie, even in her raggedness, took care of her. And so every Christmas Eve, Dolly would place Rosie gently on the table next to the Christmas tree with a note attached that said, Santa, will you please repair Rosie again? She's in need of some mending. And she didn't know how it happened, but every Christmas morning, Dolly would get up, and there was Rosie, dress repaired, looking brand new all over again. She uh, maintained her belief in Santa Claus for longer than most kids do because of that. In fact, she was still being teased by other kids in her class when she was in the fourth grade. Go ahead. No, don't do that. Thank you for that reminder, J.D., that everybody should turn off their cell phones when they come to church. We need that reminder every once in a while. Yes, even he will have mercy on you at this time. That's all right, J.D., don't worry about it. We love you. Maybe it's an important call you need to take, though. Who knows? Um, Where was I with Rosie? Rosie was repaired. She was being teased. She continued to believe in Santa Claus because she felt like she did not want her lack of faith to be any kind of threat to Rosie and her restoration. That's the most important part of that story. And dolly writes now the loving hands that did Santa's work are at rest but I still have Rosie with her limp cotton arms and on her sweet embroidered face a relaxed and sleeping look as if she knows her mission in this world is over and now every Christmas Eve when once again the world turns to the ancient story of rebirth I find in my heart a place for the memory Of Rosie's annual restoration and Dolly concludes surely in the renewed blossoming of a little child's favorite doll lies the meaning of the miracle behind the Christmas story through which we too can be reborn the miracle of understanding how much we are loved thank you Dolly Parton two truths flow from that story and from this message Number one, we are rag dolls, all of us. Broken and torn and in need of mending. All human beings live on the ragged edge. Number two, we are God's rag dolls. We are God's rag dolls, okay? He knows all about our raggedness and yet He loves us anyway. And so, raggedness is not our identity. Raggedness is not our destiny. We may be unlovely, but we are not unloved. For I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For in the town of Bethlehem today, the Savior, Christ, has been born. To all who receive Him, He gives right to be called the children of God. Recreated and righteous roses, all. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the most wonderful gift of righteousness. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room today who's not opened this gift, that you would give them the wherewithal to do just that, To realize that you want to give them the greatest gift that any human being could ever receive for is a gift that affects all eternity. And so I pray, Lord, that people will recognize you and that you came into the world for the express purpose of giving us your righteousness and taking our ugliness upon yourself. And what can we ever say to that? But thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us to be worthy of the gift. Forgive us when we fail, but help us to wear the robe of righteousness in such a way that you are proud of who we are. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.